This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, folks, and welcome to another installment of the Keeping Carlson Short Shifts podcast. I am your host, Ben Burnett. Joining me, as always, my co-host, Louis Ezekiel, and that E is for Eviscerate, which is what we saw Zach Cashin try to do to Eric Chernak today. Louis, did you catch the carnage in Edmonton? Well, luckily, I don't think we saw anything that was supposed to be inside somebody coming out. But let's just, here, listen. In hockey, we're blasting around the ice at high speed. We have extremely sharp knives strapped onto our feet. We should not be kicking people with those feet. Zach Cashin, where is the sense you were born with? This episode opening lecture is brought to you by dads. Dads, we're just curious why you're acting the fool. Well, I was acting the fool off top because this game is taking place in Tampa Bay. So if you are a scrutinizing listener, I'm sorry for screwing that up. Lewis, let's get right into our show. Of course, we are brought to you by Keeping Carlson, and you can become a patron of Keeping Carlson and hang out with us on Facebook at KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. Five bucks a month, you get to hang out in the Keeping Carlson Facebook group. And on Saturday, once again, I'll be, I will be handling the weekly streaming show where I am joined by a guest. This week, it will be Victor Nuno, who is a friend of the podcast and co-hosts a dynasty show with jesse severe on the fan tracks network um folks i hope you'll become patrons come hang out with us on saturday but for tonight of course we will start where we spent most of tuesday just talking about the fallout from all of the injuries that were somewhat fresh a few days ago and we have a little bit more information to go off of now uh in addition to all of the injuries in tampa bay you know we saw stamkos kucherov sorelli and mcdonough out we've now seen mikhail sergachev andre palat and tyler johnson on the top power play in tampa bay we've also seen a swap andre burakovsky is now on line one and power play one while Yunus donskoy has shifted down off that top power play unit and we had confirmation shortly after we finished taping the show on tuesday that kyler yamamoto is line one and power play one in Edmonton with Connor McDavid out. What do we think about how, what level are we excited about any of these members that we talked about on Tuesday, Lewis? All right. Um, I think I want to start with Yamamoto. We'll start where we finished off. You know, I was in Yamamoto before McDavid went down. Um, although I did last episode say that I thought that everyone was going to suffer from McDavid's exit and absence. Uh, and you were actually right that Yamamoto was going to benefit from some increased ice time. And he's even gotten a little bit of extra power play exposure, uh, allowing him to get a power play goal the other night. 
Uh, he's been really great, and I think I am holding on to him as long as he's playing with Dreisaitl. I am still a little bit worried about other teams loading up against what is now the Oilers' top and really only line, but it seems like they have been successful so far and haven't split them up, so hopefully it'll stay with that. The next person that I am excited about would be Burakovsky. Uh, obviously, getting that line one power play one deployment for Colorado is also very exciting. Uh, I'd love to see Burakovsky do a little more than he's been able to do so far. Um, uh, as far as all of the mess going on in Tampa Bay, I'm not so into it simply because I think with all of the unknowns about who's out and who's going to be back when, you know, we thought Stamkos was maybe minor, but he didn't end up making it back for Thursday night's game. There's just too much uncertainty. You know, we think of Tampa Bay, obviously, as having that outstanding top power play, and you want to have whoever's on the top line or even maybe in the top six, but there's just not a whole lot to go around when the players who are injured are Stamkos and Kucherov and even Sorelli, who's been really excellent, um, especially as kind of from a defensive standpoint. I've seen some people saying he should be in the Selkie com- uh, conversation. Yeah, he's having a phenomenal year and has even sniffed fantasy relevance. Reminds me quite a bit about Sean Couturier, a player who years ago fantasy GMs weren't really excited about but you know fantasy or uh, nhl analysts were saying this is a guy who's severely underrated i think anthony sorelli is entering that sort of early career sean couturier phase not to say that one day he'll become a 70 point center on the top line but one can dream yeah uh how how about you Uh, your thoughts on kind of how you would rank these uh injury fallout beneficiaries yeah i think burakovsky and yamamoto are in a class of their own at the top andre palat is interesting to me on the top unit but lacking stamkos and kudrov is not exciting and so all of those guys are a little bit downgraded for me i like sergachev a little bit more than i did yesterday with mcdonough out all of that stuff just the deployment is has a much higher ceiling than we're used to seeing with him Eunice Donskoy off top line, off top power play is a bit of a a streaming situation for me. And the same with Tyler Johnson. Not much more to say about that, so we'll shift to the goaltending situation in New York where Igor Shostyurkin missed tonight's game with an injured ankle but interestingly David Quinn today said he is the number one moving forward that shouldn't be shocking but what is kind of odd about this is we still see the three-headed monster in New York I believe this means that Igor will continue to get the majority of the starts so long as he remains consistent but What are we going to see with those number two, number three? Will Georgiev and Lundqvist rotate in so they basically are both half of a backup goaltender? How do you see this playing out? Are any of these goaltenders other than Shostyurkin rosterable unless you're streaming? Yeah, I feel like the only thing I would really want to do is stream one of those Rangers goalies in potentially for a favorable matchup. I don't know how many matchups are favorable with their porousness on defense, but um, yeah, I think until we kind of get a better sense moving forward over the next couple of weeks of how many starts they're really going to give Shesterkin, if he can continue to perform at this really elite level that he's been at, uh, I think those questions still remain to be answered. Right now, it could just be a short, hot streak. Yes, I know he's been 
unbelievably successful at every level where he's played up to this point, but I'm really trying to modulate my enthusiasm about Shesterkin after the Samsonov miscalculation. You know, and, and Igor has more better performing goalies to compete with than Samsonov had, but Samsonov never clearly ascended above a 1B option, and David Quinn's statement about Shishirkin being the number one option is really heartening for people who picked him up. I definitely wouldn't want to hold either other goalie. I really just think we need to keep watching and see if and when Shishirkin demonstrates that he is a mortal, uh, and at that point maybe start thinking about uh, Georgiev or Lundqvist a little bit more. If they're really each going to be half a backup, that is way outside the range of something that I'd be interested in. Lewis, I didn't think you were going to be able to do it, but of course I shouldn't have doubted you. You were able to work Ilya Samsonov into tonight's show. I'm starting to think that maybe we should get you a spinoff Shorter Shifts podcast where you just get to share your Ilya Samsonov thoughts every single night. Samsonov shifts. There you go. Yeah. Uh, to me, I don't I don't think about Ilya Samsonov to the same level as you. But yeah, I think Shostyurkin is actually like a, a relatively usable goalie. And I, I think that we've seen more confidence put in him than we've seen in... Uh, I know it's kind of... The, the comparison isn't one-to-one to me at all because I don't think that we've heard any sort of confidence being put into Samsonov as a workhorse or as a number one. So to me, I think that there's much more reason to be excited about Igor. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to say that, you know, I made a mistake previously being such a big time Delilah for my Samson. And, uh, that I think now, you know, definitely hearing that news about Shesterkin is great. Uh, and I think I just want to kind of, kind of watch how it continues. You know, I'm holding him all over the place. So I'm not going to dump him anytime soon, but I am wondering, you know, is there another shoe that's going to fall at some point? The Delilah to your Samsung is a good one. I'm a little disappointed you didn't save it for uh, Samsung shifts, but whatever. We'll move on. We'll talk about uh, next uh, another Russian, Alexander Radulov, out for tonight's game and likely two more as the Stars placed him on the injured reserve list. As a result, the Stars called up prospect Jason Robertson and immediately put him right on power play one. The Stars do have a a weekend back-to-back. Are we interested in a short-term stream of Jason Robertson? You know, I'm not sure how excited I can get about a power play one that includes Robertson, Yanmark, and this year's edition of King Klang. Uh, obviously having some access to Jamie Benn, who's been much improved lately, and Tyler Sagan is exciting. But this is a wait-and-see situation for me. I'm going to check ice time uh, after Thursday's game. Um, but I'm willing to bet there's more appealing options out there in your league. I prefer almost everyone we discussed last episode in our free agent ad section even before Robertson playing on the top power play. Let's say Eunice Donskoy and Jason Robertson, you're taking Donskoy still? Yeah, I mean, you know, the opportunity is interesting, but, like, I've literally never heard of Robertson before this evening, so I think uh, I'll go with a more proven commodity here. I think I'm with you. I mean, it's tough to get too excited about anyone getting suddenly solid deployment in Dallas, given the line blender and the fact that no one seems to have a grip on actual elite ice time. So that's fair. I just thought he was an interesting name, and to see him come up and immediately get that shot shows that the stars are at least excited by the possibility of getting him into the roster sooner than later. Sure. And the game's not over yet. We could wait and find out that, you know, he was getting some very nice exposure. Maybe they're putting him, you know, giving him some sheltered minutes and giving him a chance to be successful at the NHL level. Uh, And then maybe it makes sense to fit him in for that back-to-back. It's a good point. Lewis, we have one more headline and... 
Oh my god, it's an outery. Victor Olofsson is back. Very exciting. No points tonight so far, but he is right back up on line one, power play one. I don't think this changes too much, so I don't have a ton to say about it, but perhaps we see a normalized power play one, which could be good for, dare I say it, Jeff Skinner? Well, of course this would happen the week where I'm up against Jeff Skinner in my most competitive match, but, you know, I'm... You know, I think I'm going to wait and see what happens there. Skinner has been such an enormous disappointment that, you know, it would take quite a bit for anything to move the needle for him, uh, in my opinion. But that being said, I know the Sabres are going to be glad to have Vic the Stick back. He was providing them lots of really useful uh, offense earlier in the season. It does kind of seem like he got figured out a little bit as time went on uh, and hit a bit of that rookie wall. Um, but if he is able to recapture that magic, I'm certainly desperate for any sort of offense in Buffalo as a Jack Eichel holder in numerous leagues. So I welcome back uh, Victor Olofsson, and I hope he can be very successful uh, and put himself in a position to be very interesting when you are making your rankings for next season's draft. Honestly, I'd be pretty heartened to see Jeff Skinner on my opponent's lineup at this point. Like, he's been so bad. We do have a Victor Olofsson power play goal after finishing up that little segment. So that's excitement. That's, that is exciting. I am not quite as heartened about Jeff Skinner as, you know, I maybe suggested earlier, but he is on that top power play unit once again. So maybe things can turn around. Fortunes can change for a once profitable Skinner. All right. Well, Lewis, let's get into our final segment of the night, the patron five. Of course, I mentioned the Keeping Carlson patron-only Facebook group earlier. Every single week, we have the patrons vote on five players. They want us to deep dive, tell us a little bit more about their fortunes, whether or not they're doing anything sustainable or things that they should be worried about regressing. Of course, we do this L. And I am going to start with the first member of this week's list, and that player is Ryan Graves. Patron Dan asked simply... How is he doing this? Dot, dot, dot. Well asked, Dan. I appreciate that question. Uh, let's start off with the 34-point pace. That is not an eye-popping amount for any defenseman, but he has been excellent at accumulating peripheral stats. Graves is putting up useful numbers across several categories, including hits, shots, pims, Notably blocks where he ranks in the top 10 in the league, but the wildest thing, of course, about Graves' game is his ridiculous plus 41 rating where he's easily lapping the field. He's plus 11 over the second place Dougie Hamilton, who's obviously done for the year. Since 2010, that is the second best mark a player has managed over a full season, and he reached it in just 54 games He's currently pacing for the best plus-minus performance we've seen since Wayne Gretzky put up a very nice plus-69 in 1987. I personally do not love using plus-minus in leagues as obvious, as as made notable by the fact that I don't think we've ever mentioned it on short shifts before. But obviously, if you have him in a league where it counts, you're riding him there. And since he's on this list, I do think it bears mentioning. I wrote a column for Dauber last week in my Geek of the Week column where I listed Graves as a great buy before the playoffs because Colorado has an excellent Week 21 and 22 schedule. They've got a back-to-back Streamagami, meaning they play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, all off day nights. So grab Graves if you can. My theory is you're not going to target him in a trade because, like, what really are you going to give up to to add 
Ryan Graves. So instead, I would try and get him as a throw-in for a bigger piece and kind of try and disguise the fact that you're adding someone who's going to give you a nice little bump in a ton of multi-cat categories. Hopefully you can cheer him on while he takes a shot at this particular Wayne Gretzky milestone. Yeah, really nice. I appreciate also that you added in the uh, mandatory in 2020 recommendation that you avoid any leagues with plus minus, but uh, I never would have thought to check. Uh, That's an outstanding statistic. Really interesting. Obviously Colorado is out there, you know, outscoring everybody. And if Graves is blocking everything that comes towards the goalie while he's out there, it's going to be tough for his opponents to, to get goals to hit him for a minus. You know, you talked about a 34 point pace for a defenseman being nothing to write home about. What if we talk about a forward on a 37 point pace? I'm ready for it. So our next question and our next member of the Patron 5 is Joe Pavelski. The question is, is he a hold rest of season after this recent hot streak? Uh, Before we get to talking about the hot streak, let's put this into context. What an infuriating fantasy own Pavelski has been this year. Uh, He has endured cold streaks of one point in eight games, two points in nine games, one point in 11 games, and of course, two points in the first 13 games that likely saw many of his owners drop him not long after picking him up. But he was on the longest hot streak of his season with six points over the last five games, an improved shooting rate and monster power play minutes, including above or near five minutes of power play time the last two games before he left with an upper body injury. That upper body injury remains mysterious, and we do not know when he may be coming back. So before we talk any more about the injury, looking at the deeper stats, Pavelski certainly has room for positive regression. He's got three even strength goals when his individual expected goals, uh, they think it should be closer to eight. Uh, He's shooting as poorly as he ever has in his career at even strength, 4.35% compared to last year's 16.15, so nearly a three-quarters drop-off and a career average over 10%. So there's certainly room for improvement there. You know, and he's clearly just trying to figure out how he fits into this Dallas offense with a mere 34.62 even strength IPP. Uh, So he's only getting in on about a third of the goals that are being scored at even strength. And this is just over half of his previous career worst. So he's never been uh, below 64 and he's at 34% right now. Now, I don't know if that's something that can be fixed during the course of the season. Uh, maybe it's just a bad fit. Maybe there's something about Pavelski's game that has changed considerably, but it, it just looks pretty grim. You know, there should be some more even strength assists out there. You know, a puck should bounce off him and somebody fall onto somebody's stick and they can poke it in. And there might be more assists available on the power play as well. Um, you know, his IPP is a little bit low there. We know as a net front guy, Pavelski isn't counted on much for setups, but you know, there may be some room there. Uh, So Pavelski is certainly capable of more, and this recent burst is testament to that fact, but I'm a little wary of the idea that Pavs will maintain that improved play coming off of this injury, whenever that may be. I think a much, much milder positive regression away from that current 37-point pace is more likely than the kind of performance we've seen over the last five games, or even a 55-point pace moving forward. So I guess my answer to that is if holding a 55-point or less forward is valuable to you, uh, it may still be useful. He's certainly going to get nice exposure uh, that other players scoring at that rate might not get. But, you know, if he can continues converting at his current rate, it's going to be tough for him to be much more than a very deep piece. Sorry, Lewis, I don't really understand what you mean. A much milder positive regression away from the 37 point pace. What 
What do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah, sorry. I should clarify that. So what I mean is I think that he has room for improvement, certainly, but he is not going to go from a 37-point pace that he's been on to the 90-point pace that he's had over the past five games. And I don't think anyone would expect that, but you're saying closer to 50 to 55 points, sorry? Exactly. The third player on the Patron 5 this week, Jack Hughes, number one pick of the New Jersey Devils. Brandon Weeby, who designed the beautiful Short Shifts logo that you are seeing on your podcast device right now, asks, is Jack Hughes about to take off? While this hasn't been the rookie season Jack Hughes was likely hoping for, he's currently only on pace for 34 points on the season, which I looked back, that would be the lowest point production we've seen from a number one pick since Nail Yakupov scored 31 in a lockout-shortened 2013 NHL campaign. That's lower than two D-men, including Aaron Ekblad, were capable of putting up in their rookie season. Things really haven't looked great on the stat sheet recently either. Despite having an 8-shot game recently, he only has 21 total shots in the past 10 games. Only 4 points in the 12 games since he returned from an injury, which would give him a sub-30 point pace on the year. He is seeing a lot of power play time, which is very positive, but the Devils really aren't as dangerous without Taylor Hall on the opposite side to rip uh, Jack Hughes' feeds home from. There are a few under-the-hood numbers that should indicate Hughes is due some regression this year. So his even-strength shooting percentage is just under 4%. I'd expect that number to be at least around 10 moving forward. Same with his on-ice shooting percentage, which is all the way down at 5.8%. If you regress those numbers, I think Hughes would be in on pace between 40 and 50 points, most likely in the middle, around 45 So in a one-year league, I'd say no. The Hughes breakout isn't worth holding on for. If you're in a keeper and you can afford to hold him for the stretch run, I'd imagine better days are ahead, or better years are ahead, I should say. But perhaps the best move would be to buy low if you're in a rebuilding year. Overall, I'd say he's not going to be a late entrant into this year's Calder race. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I like the suggestion as a possible buy low. You know, he is competing in that center position for, you know, against another number one overall. He's got the pedigree. He's got a quality skill set. Hopefully, we'll have some wings of quality available also in New Jersey at some point. But, you know, a ton of talent down the middle in a potential talent down the middle for the Devils. And hopefully down the line, we'll see them get to exercise it a little bit more. Yeah. And who knows? They could be adding another top three pick to that group. So we'll see. Yeah, certainly true. All right. My question is from Elon. Uh, and he asks, Jacob Markstrom, is he the number two goalie in fantasy hockey? Well, let me tell you, I'm playing against him this week, and it feels like he is number one with a bullet with what he's done to me the last few games, but I am here to throw some cold water on this suggestion. Um, you know, while I think Connor Hellebuck or Tuka Rass probably hold this title for their overall body of work this season behind Andre Vasilevsky, uh, there are a few goalies as hot as Markstrom in the very short term, and the others uh, who have been nearly as hot have bigger question marks. Uh, so Mackenzie Blackwood put up back-to-back shutouts, and Igor Shesterkin is off to this blazing 6-1 record, including back-to-back 42-save performances. Uh, so that trio right now is, you know, three extremely exciting uh, goalies who are 
really making a name for themselves late here in the season. Markstrom arguably enjoys the most complete team in front of him out of that group, although all three have some pretty serious defensive issues. That being said, hot as he is recently, he's only a couple games removed from a pair of sub-900 games preceded by a 905 and a 4-0 loss. So the last two games do not erase the three games before that, nor uh, do any of those sets really define him for the season. There are some metrics in which Markstrom is dominating. He's second in the league in all situations goals saved above average behind only Robin Leonard and is fifth in the league in delta save percentage, which is the difference between his uh, expected save percentage and his actual save percentage. So he's doing a nice job uh, outpacing sort of the expectations for an average goalie in his position. Still, I'm not ready to put him up with the Vasilevskis and the Rasts of the league yet. Uh, he's going to make for a very interesting offseason topic of discussion and target for a number of teams, Vancouver included, when he becomes a UFA at the end of the year. So certainly games like his most recent uh, shutout are going to put him in the conversation for many teams who are pursuing a possible number one. So you mentioned Blackwood and Shostyarkin. Are those guys that you're putting in this conversation of the top five, top ten? No, just people who like Markstrom are extremely exciting here in the short term, but certainly don't measure up compared to you know what I think are those top three goalies that I mentioned in Vasilevsky, Hellebuck, and Rask so far. So would you put Markstrom closer to the latter group or closer to that top three? The numbers show Markstrom definitely in you know the top range of a lot of these valuable stats. So I I would have him closer up near the near the Hellebooks and Rass. I think just because again the body of work for Blackwood and Shesterkin. Shesterkin's is too brief. Blackwood's is too spotty, and he's on not a good enough team. Yeah, I might have him poking up closer towards the Hellebooks and Rass than I do the Blackwoods and the Shesterkins. You know, I think he's really been excellent this season and probably belongs up there in the top ten or maybe there's even an argument to the top five i'm not ready to go there yet but certainly not the number two goalie in fantasy hockey as the question was asked um but the number one goalie breaking my heart this week in the cook up fall <laughs> i'm sorry to hear that i actually i think that i would put him right in that top five conversation to me i see vasilevsky there and then i don't really see anyone close to vasilevsky i think it's a big old jumble from there between anderson hellebuck Markstrom. I actually would downgrade Rask from the group just because of his status as a 1A rather than a clear number one. It really drops the ceiling a lot lower when you're splitting starts like Rask is. Another guy who I think is really due for a big second half would be Philip Grubauer. So that's that's the dark horse that I would put in this conversation. The guys like Shostyorkin and Blackwood who are very hot right now and I think have a lot of potential, but I think that I would put them a lot closer to like the 10 to 15 range or like the bottom, like the closer to 10 certainly than five. Yeah, I think I need to see more games from Shesterkin. And yeah, Blackwood has been very exciting lately, but uh, there's too much I think that I'm kind of nervous about. Although they did demolish the Red Wings, which is, you know, what I kind of want them to be doing. What they should uh, be at doing. At this point in the season, yeah. Uh, just a quick add, and I know people love these updates from games that are already over, but 
Victor Olofsson from Eichel to win in overtime. Uh, So very nice outing for him. All right, Lewis, we have one more member of this week's Patron 5, and it's a doozy. We're going to talk about Alex Dabrinkit. At 21 years old, Dabrinkit managed 41 goals and nearly topped a point per game. One year later, he is far from those heights. With only 36 points through the season's 57 games, he's pacing for only 52 over a full season. The main issue here is that Alex Dabrinkit cannot buy a goal at even strength. He's shooting at a higher per 60 rate than he ever has before, but he's only scoring on 3% of those even strength shots after scoring around five times that much each of the past two years. So that is bound to regress, but to what extent, right? And the one area of Dabrinkit's game that hasn't faltered is on the power play, where he's managed to score nine goals already and is shooting at the same clip. And what I... What I mean by that is he's shooting at the same per 60 rate that he reached on the power play last year. Unfortunately, he's recently been a casualty of a line mix-up and is currently off the top power play in Chicago. It's going to be tough for him to keep up that meager, whatever meager production he's managed without top power play duties. So if Dabrinkit was shooting at his career even strength average to this point in the season, he'd have 15 more goals this year, which would leave him tied with Artemi Panarin for ninth in the league. So I'm not sure I'm ready to to forecast that level of regression just because we've seen a little bit more uncertainty in his deployment more recently. You know, he's not playing with Patrick Kane. He's off that top power play unit. And I do think that that reduces what he could do moving forward from what he should have been doing in the first half of the season. However, I see Alex Dabrinkit scoring more goals at even strength the rest of the year. It just depends on how long Colladin sticks with this configuration. So given that deployment uncertainty, I think a reasonable expectation for Alex Dabrinkit is around 70 points moving forward. If you can buy low at this point in the year, I think that that would be a good bet. I've been a Dabrinkit uh, owner. I kept him actually over last year in my keeper league, hoping for some similar 41-ish goal success there. Uh, And obviously, it's been a huge struggle this season, but I have some faith that the underlying numbers show that there is uh, a better player in there. You know, like you you said right at the start, at 21 years old, right? Uh, He got had that 40-goal season, so he's definitely still got that potential in him. I don't see him being an Alex Galchenyuk type where we've already seen the best season that he's going to put together necessarily. Um, But interesting to see, you know, that uh, he and Jeff Skinner, you know, pretty much have followed the same recipe here in this most recent season. Uh, Although definitely those underlying numbers look a lot more favorable for Dabrinkit over Skinner. All right, Lewis, we are out of time. For myself, Ben Burnett, I'm signing off. Why don't you take us home? All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, and if you are a patron, please check out last uh, Wednesday's patron cast. It was really outstanding. If you would like to become a patron, all of those patron casts will be available to you. Uh, and thank you, as always, to Natural Stat Trick, Yahoo, Fantrax, and Corsica Hockey for helping with our research this episode. Until we see you next week, play smart and keep your shifts short.